Welcome to Choice Classic Radio. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, and help keep this show alive by donating at choiceclassicradio.com. For more of your favorite old-time radio shows, join us on our companion podcast, Choice Classic Radio Mystery, Suspense, Dramas, and Horrors, where we bring to you the most mysterious tales that the golden age of radio had to offer. And now, with 326 episodes made, broadcasting from 1939 to 1950, we bring to you The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. A delightful friend and raconteur, Dr. Watson, in his cheery study. Oh, good evening, Mr. Bell. Good evening. Hey, uh, would you mind handing me that uh, little notebook over there? The old bullet wound of my legs acting up again. I don't enjoy hopping about. Of course, I'm terribly sorry. I didn't notice. Why would you, Mr. Bell? Why would you? I'm still capable of my five miles a day. Provided, of course, it's one of my good days. Well, of course you are. I'm just wondering how you ever managed to get around as much as you did with Sherlock Holmes. On your bad days, I mean. <laughs> yes. Many of the long and weary miles I've spent trading around after that insatiable sleuth hound when he was hot on the scent. Ah, but I remember once when I got even with him. A rascal. Really? When was that? It was one spring. In the year uh, 1896, if I remember correctly, Holmes, in the excitement over some chemical experiments, had managed to spill some rather potent acid on his right trouser leg. Before he noticed it, the fabric was completely eaten away, and the flesh underneath had sustained a dangerous burn. At least I, I led Holmes to believe it was dangerous. <laughs> the only way to keep him anchored to his armchair was a lissied oil bandage neatly in place where to do some good. Sherlock Holmes sitting quietly in an armchair. <laughs> that must have been an unusual sight, Dr. Watson. <laughs> it was, Mr. Bell, it was. <laughs> Our large, airy sitting room in Baker Street was cheerfully illuminated, as I've mentioned before now, by two broad windows. One of them, uh, I opened. The weather was unusually warm for me. Then I established Holmes in his armchair in front of it, so that he could watch what was going on in the street below. Well, I wouldn't have thought there would be enough activity on Baker Street to keep Sherlock Holmes amused, Dr. Watson. There wasn't, Mr. Bell. There most assuredly was not. Not only did the tedium of sitting still hurt, my friend... But his lid burned like a veritable inferno. The combination was not cantily to improve his disposition. Temporarily awed combat, as they say in our more elegant novel. Who said it was? I'm not complaining because I'm not able to go about looking for trouble, but because no one brings me any. 
Here I am, the greatest unofficial consulting detective alive. What's so extraordinary in that? Now, what do you mean? What do you mean? I thought you always claimed you were the only unofficial consulting detective. I am. Well, then naturally you're the greatest. I don't quibble, Watson. As I was saying, here I am, the greatest consulting detective, the last and highest court of appeals of detection. And no one comes to consult me. No one brings me a crime to solve. Maybe there haven't been any. All nonsense. The newspapers are full of crimes. Two bank robberies, an abduction, three fires of undoubtedly incendiary origin, and a stolen baby carriage are reported in yesterday's paper alone. Jimmy. Uh, but does Scotland Yard remember my existence? Does Estrade drop in in his dilatory way? Not at all. Or have they managed to solve the cases for themselves? No, they're content to let matters drift. Shiftless inefficiency. And here I sit, my brain stagnating, my energy's untapped. Huh. I didn't be content to work on the baby carriage, Blasted. Yes, but look here, Holmes. Even if they brought one of these cases to you for solution, you're in no condition to go prowling about town collecting unnecessary data. I wouldn't need to, Watson. Not if they bring me the facts. Anyone, even Lestrade, can unearth facts. It's the correct interpretation of them that marks the expert. The science of deduction and analysis is one that can only be acquired by long and arduous study. From a drop of water, the true logician can infer the possibility of an Atlantic or a Niagara. Oh, well, if all you want is a glass of water... Water, water, bar. I know all there is to know about the water supply of London. Furthermore, I'm not thirsty. No. What I crave is mental stimulation, something to occupy my brain. What happens? Nothing. Absolutely Nothing. Even the passers-by in Baker Street this morning are incredible dullness and respectability. What have we had? A washerwoman with a cold from going out of the air too soon after working over a steaming tub. Barber with asthma and tripping dusty hair. A postman with corn. And two distributors of religious pamphlets, one on each side of the street. Not what one would term exciting specimens of the so-called homo sapiens. Well, good heavens, you can't expect thieves and beggars and cutthroats every day of the week. Well, why not? Every human being is a potential criminal. In fact, you might be surprised to know, Watson, how many people hide a crime of some sort in their past. Oh, rubbish. I'm no misanthrope like you. Uh, you're always looking at life through the rosy tint of spectacles of a confirmed romanticist. I wonder if it doesn't make you bilious. Hello, hello, hello. There's the chap I've been waiting for. Where? Turning into Baker Street from Marleybone Road. Uh-huh. Drunker than usual. Dear, dear. Auntie will be annoyed. Holmes, what are you babbling about? You must be running a fever. Certainly not. My temperature's perfectly normal. Uh, what day of the month is it, Watson? Why, the, um... Uh, <laughs> I don't remember. Don't remember? Don't remember? <laughs> This place, the breakfast table's all littered up with bills, and he doesn't know the day of the month it is. By Joe, of course. <laughs> Must be the first of the month. Uh, bravo, Watson. I, I knew you could do it if you tried. You go to blaze. Oh, I have, judging from the fire in this leg. Now, what connection has the first of the month got with the inebriated young gentleman lurching up the other side of the street? Watson, do you mean to tell me that during all the years we've inhabited this suite of rooms, you haven't noticed that come the first of the month... Young Mr. Peckworth comes to collect his allowance from his bedridden old aunt who lives in number 224. To the writer's garden house that lies directly opposite us. Never even knew there was a Mrs. Peckworth in the neighborhood. There isn't. The old girl's name is Blunt, Mrs. Blunt. She's married Peckworth's mother's brother, a wealthy soap manufacturer, now deceased. 
dingy old money bag with a conscience that bristles like a porcupine. Understand she's threatened to cut young Mr. Peckworth out of her will if he turns up once more under the influence of liquor. Here he is. Not only tipsy, but an hour late. The old lady's in a fury. How do you know so much about him? Mrs. Hutton has a butter and egg borrowing acquaintance with Mrs. Blunt's housekeeper, the sole attendant. Elderly spinster by the name of O'Reilly, Bridget O'Reilly. Yes, but how do you know the old Harrigan's in a temper on this particular morning? I've seen her face. She has a couch drawn to that second-story bay window. She's poked her head with this incredible nightcap through the curtain no less than 32 times during the last 40 minutes. And her expression is enough to frighten the gorgon. Yes, yes, there she is again. By Jove, she, she's caught sight of her nephew and noticed the difficulty he's having in negotiating her front steps. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not in his shoes. Yes, there's a potential drama of no mean voltage in that household, Watson. I wouldn't be surprised if it... Hello? The door is open before Mr. Peckworth is trying to pull the bell. Well, that's Miss, uh, Miss O'Reilly, the housekeeper. She's got a hat on. Yes, she must be going. To the post office, post a message, judging with a letter in her hand. What's the importance? What? Because it's an ordinary letter, she'd drop it at the post box corner. That indicates she intends to go further to the post office, in fact. She seems to be giving young Petworth a bit of her tongue, does she? I'm sure he, he, he's having something to say himself. Ah, she slammed the door in his face, leaving him on the steps outside. There she passes down the street. Something's going on in that house, Watson. Something dashed unusual. Well, what gives you that impression, sir? Bridget O'Reilly was so unstrung, she forgot to remove her apron. How many people send out money orders in the first of the month? Still, 15 minutes. Oh, Mrs. Blunt seems to be having the pretty fool. She's tapping on the window pane to attract her little attention. She's motioning him to come inside. She can't make out what he's saying. She's opening the window. She's right. The door is unlocked all the time. He's gone inside. And left the door open. Over that, over that. Sounded like a door being slammed. Probably the drop from the open front door blew it shut. At the draft of that song, it slammed the front door. Blow it wider open. It hasn't been moved. Here comes young Pickwick. That's a shot out of a gun. She's had a shock. Face white. Perfectly sober. There he goes, tearing down the street. I tell you what, that wasn't the door we heard. It was a revolver. Oh, confound this lady. I could go. He's murdered his aunt, and now he's trying to get away. Never fear, Holmes. I'll catch him. Stop, please. Right there. 
Something from where you're trapped, you idiot. You'll spoil everything. Yes, who is this? Quiet, what's the quiet? Come to help you go back down the street. Please, he's got rid of the apron, I see. He's hurrying to make up for lost time. There she goes. Up. <laughs> I wonder what she's about to find inside that house. Good heavens, home, you are a cold-blooded monster. Well, I believe you're actually hoping to be thieves in the attic and a body in this cellar. I don't think we shall have to hope for a body in this, Watson. There's bound to be. Yes, yes, here comes the housekeeper racing down the steps. Hair disheveled. Now, oh, what did I tell you? Well, if they must call Scotland Yard, I only hope they send for Inspector Lestrade. Good, good. Now get off the glasses, Watson. Get them out. Get them out. Oh, right. That's just what I was about to do. Give me time, can't you? Now, let me see. You want a big one, I suppose. Come in, come in. Ah, <laughs> Inspector Lestrade. Well, there's been a murder just across the street. Practically under your very nose, as you might say. Yeah, so they tell me. How are you heading? Right. Oh, very mild. Not more than four fingers, right? Uh, up steam, you say, Watson. Soda? Oh, a splash. Just a splash. Hey, Rod, it's that. Ah, there's the figure. Have you evolved any uh, theories as to how the crime was committed, Lestrade? Theories? <laughs> My dear Holmes. You should know by now the Scotland Yard inspector on a case does not drink. Uh, we arrested the murderer at his club not half an hour ago. Well, here's to the yard. Hmm. I suppose when you say the murderer, you're alluding to young Peckworth, Mrs. Blunt's nephew. Exactly. She had a powerful motive. The old lady had just uh, sent off a letter to her attorney saying she wished to see him about changing her will. All right. The housekeeper told you that, I suppose. Yes. It seems she met Mr. Peckworth on the front steps when she was going out and told him to. It seems they had quite a few words on the subject. Absolutely. Holmes and I can testify to that. Hey, Holmes. Hey, they they, they, they quarrel for several minutes. Mostly, you couldn't hear what they said. That expressions were decidedly angry. And the letter? Oh, it was mailed right enough, Holmes. Registered at the post office. The housekeeper signed the book. 
Furthermore, the contents of the letter were exactly as the housekeeper specified. So the motive is proved. Even Mr. Peckwood can't deny that. Uh, uh, and how about another round, Dr. Watson? Solving crimes in dry work. Right. <laughs> Hand over your glass. Uh, well, Holmes, you can't complain. Scotland Yard isn't thorough. We traced that letter inside of half an hour. Have I ever, Lestrade? Short-sighted, perhaps, even dense, but never, well, hardly ever. Not thorough. Oh, I like that. Well, we proved the lad not only had the motive, he had the opportunity. You don't say. Yes, I think so. All right, thanks. Hmm. Uh, he was in the house alone at the time of the shooting. And how do you know? Your own Mrs. Hudson is our authority for that. Oh, she heard what sounded like a shot across the way, hurried to her basement window, and was in time to see Peckford dash out of the house and go tearing off down the street. Well, I don't doubt he was in the house at the time of the shot. In fact, Watson, I can testify to that, too. But that doesn't prove he fired the shot. Oh, it doesn't, eh? <laughs> well, what was it then? Spontaneous combustion? Well, even that isn't such an impossibility as you might think, Mr. Ard. Uh, would you mind answering a few questions, or just to put my mind at rest? Certainly, Holmes. If it will amuse you, always humor the second. Uh, first of all, uh, what was the expression on the old woman's face? Well, we couldn't rightly say, Holmes. The murderer had fired point blank. It was badly mutilated. Powder band? Oh, yes, yes, very distinctly. She was shot at at close range. Is that what you're getting at? Uh, how about the position of her hand? She was still holding a knitting. A knitting? Suggestive, eh, Watson? Very suggestive. I must say, Holmes, I can't see what difference it makes what she was holding in her hand. Uh, where'd you find the revolver? We didn't find it. Oh, you didn't? Peckworth must have carried it out of the house with him and disposed of it somewhere. Uh, you're sure it's not in the house? Of course, I'm sure. You think I don't know how to conduct a search? I've had the house gone off. She was afraid something was amiss. So she went immediately upstairs to her mistress. And saw the result of the villain's handiwork. Exactly, Dr. Watson. A few minutes earlier, uh, she'd have been caught red-handed. And after viewing the body, as you might say, I suppose she ran out into the street and yammered for a policeman. He came and they searched the house. But of course that's what happened, Holmes. Good Lord, you saw that much yourself. I did not. I didn't witness her discovery of the body. Undo, let's be accurate, Watson. Yes. Good Lord, what difference is that? Didn't they call the police? Well, they fixed the house and found no. Furthermore, the only other exit they backed door was locked. As the housekeeper had left. On, the only way the murderer could have entered the house was the front door. But the housekeeper had neglected to lock in her excitement. And we have witnesses to prove that Peckworth was the only person to use that door during the housekeeper's absence. Right. I'll back you up on that, sir. Thank you. Watson, you're a fool. What does young Peckworth to say about all this, Mr. Scratch? Oh, the usual thing. Bleats about his innocence. Says he was just about to go upstairs when he heard the shot. Realized that something was decidedly wrong and that he'd be blamed for it if he was found on the spot. Said he never was upstairs at all. Ridiculous. That's that trouble with the average criminal. 
can't even think of a plausible story. Yeah, the story may not be particularly plausible in this case, Mr. Rod, but it does happen to be the truth. Peckworth did not kill his aunt. What makes you so sure? The lapse of time between the shot and his exit out the front door of the house. Couldn't possibly have run from in front of his aunt's couch downstairs and out in that short time. Hence, he was not upstairs when the shot was fired. Yes, but that's... It's just a matter of a couple of seconds. No jury in the world will believe that anyone can judge time with that degree of accuracy. Well, the average British jury is not composed of magnificent intellect, I grant you. However, I have further proof, which will, I think, convince even their dull brains. And that is? Mr. Peckworth did not have a gun on this person when he went in. The balls would have been extremely noticeable under the polished lightness of the clothing. Nor did he have one when he left the house. By Joe Bones, I believe you're right. No revolver was found in Of course not. The murderer was very careful to remove it. And now I suppose you're going to tell me you know who the murderer was. Quite. It was Bridget O'Reilly, the housekeeper. What? Ah, Holmes, you're out of your mind. She, why, she couldn't possibly have entered the house. Oh, no? Suppose you search the airways back of Mrs. Lunt's residence for a blood-stained apron and a business-like revolver. She can't have hidden them too carefully. Didn't have time. Uh, oh, well, I'll do it. Good. Not that I expect to find anything, mind you. Oh, of course. Well. I'm only doing it to humor you. Because you're sick. Uh, damn right, Jim. Comes to start back again, Holmes. <laughs> uh, the search didn't take so long. Anyone from Scotland Yard is really rather clever at finding things. Yes, once you point out where they should look. Come in, come in, come in. Well, Lestrade. Well, you know, Holmes, sometimes you're positively uncanny. You don't tell me. Well, well. Stevens is over there now, getting the housekeeper's confession. I take it you found the apron and the revolver. Yeah, we did. In the areaway, just as you said. It was hidden in an old watering pot. The revolver even had a perfect set of the housekeeper's fingerprints still on it. Oh, tell us about it. But how you figured it out, Holmes, is beyond me. I knew the moment you said the victim was still clutching her knitting. Yes, but... It Whoever it was that shot her didn't take her unaware. She was shot from the front of close range. However, the approach of the murder didn't alarm the old lady, or she would have dropped her knitting and put up her hands to defend herself. Of course, I see what you're getting at. I don't interrupt, Watson. And the only two people who were that intimate with the old lady were her nephew and her housekeeper. Matter of fact, had her nephew entered the room, she would probably put down her knitting in order to give him a tongue lashing. Furthermore, we know it could not have been the nephew because he did not carry the revolver out of the house. Well, who was left? I'll keep her, of course. Oh, I grant you all that, Holmes. But dash it all. How did she get in and out? The back door was locked from the inside. Quiet. However, you'll be only the housekeeper's word for it, that it was locked when she left the house. What do you mean? What was to prevent her from leaving the back door unlocked? 
posting the letter, sneaking back and entering through the back door, committing the crime, exiting again through the back door, disposing of the revolver and blood-stained apron. Blood always is a nasty way of spreading, you know. And then what did she do? Hurries around to the front of the house, enters again, races through to the back door and locks it from the inside. And then runs back out the front door and calls to the police. After all, she didn't have to take the time to go upstairs to discover the crime. Who knows better than the murderer when there's a corpse to be found? By Joe Holmes. You know, that, that, that's a magnificent chain of reasoning. Huh? Huh? Uh, elementary, my dear Watson. Elementary. That concludes today's episode. We'd like to thank you and remind you to donate at choiceclassicradio.com. Remember, your donations make episodes like this possible.